You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. The reading for this week is from Genesis chapter 48 to Genesis chapter 49, ending at verse 28. Chapter 48 Sometime later, Joseph was told, Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherited, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me, so that I may bless them. Now, Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh.
Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. Chapter 49 Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather round, so that I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength. Excelling in honour, excelling in power. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger, and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their fury, so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob, and disperse them in Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch, he will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon. Issachar is a scrawny donkey lying down among the sheepfolds. When he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labour. Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path, that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles backwards. I look for your deliverance, Lord. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. Ash's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Naphtali is a doe set free, that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring, whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. But his bow remained steady. His strong arm stayed supple. Because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God, who helps you, because of the Almighty, who blesses you with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and the womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, in the evening he divides the plunder. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. 
Hi everyone, once again it's a delight to be back here with you um, reading through the series in Genesis um, and we've been going through Joseph's story and we're at the second last week um, which I'm, I have mixed feelings about um, but what I'm excited about is it seems like the story is coming to an end it's like, and we're going to see some really interesting things happen over the next two weeks. Um, thank you for um, the reading. That was a long reading. Um, as you know, we've been going through the series of Genesis and asking this question, this question, which is, what will the royal snake crushing seed be like? And that's the question for today. Um, in the past few weeks, we've been having like a mini question, which focuses it, but we're just going to stick with this big one today. Um, one, because I think this passage has a lot to say about Jesus, it has a lot to say about what the royal snake crushing seed will be like. And two, I want us to keep thinking about that way of reading the Old Testament. When we read the Old Testament, that we don't see it as just a bunch of moral stories, but pointing to Jesus, showing us what he is like in a rich and deep way. And the reason that we do that, of course, is that's because how Jesus sees the Old Testament. That's how he sees it. And we should, we should read the same way too. Um, however, I do want to make one clarification as we've been doing each week. With narrative, it's a little bit more complicated than a simple question. And so um, we're going to be talking about our tip for the week, which is that stories have layers, just like an onion. Onions have layers and stories have layers. And this story that we're reading to, through will tell us things about the seed, right? Tells us about what the promised King Jesus is going to be like. But along the way, we're going to be learning things about God, of course, the way that he acts through the seed, but also the way he acts directly. And we're going to be learning about God's people, how they're transformed and how we kind of inherit their promises as well. And so I want you to keep that in mind. And today we've got two chapters. Um, the first one is Genesis 48, where Jacob adopts his grandsons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and the second chapter we're going to be going through, Genesis 49, is that Jacob blesses his sons. And so I would encourage you to keep your Bible open as we go through Genesis 48 together. And we read as it starts that uh, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. Um, Jacob is dying. I think he was dying last chapter. He's still dying now. Uh, and he's kind of still dying in the next chapter and the next one after that. Um, but he's sick. And so Joseph, um, his favorite son, his son who was uh, ripped away from him for decades, goes and takes his own sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to see his ailing, dying father. Uh, you may remember Manasseh and Ephraim are the two sons he had whilst in Egypt after he'd been brought out of slavery. And he's going to go show them to Jacob. And Jacob is in a strange place. You remember from last week, we talked about this, this promise that God had given Jacob that you will return to the land, except now he's dying. He's dying. How does that make sense? Well, Jacob doesn't get it, but he still trusts God. And what he's about to do is recognize that maybe he's not going to make it back, but he's going to pass on this blessing of returning to the land, this blessing of family onto his grandsons. Let's read together in verse 3. Jacob said to Joseph, he'd come to him, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the, end of, in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you, to your children. 
And what he does now is what I guess we could call some sort of uh, ritual of adoption. He decides to adopt Manasseh and Ephraim as, as his own. Let's read in verse 5. Now then, your two sons, he's speaking to Joseph, born to you in Egypt before I came to you here, will be reckoned as mine. They're going to be my sons. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine, and any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they'll be reckoned under the names of their brothers. He adopts Manasseh and Ephraim as his own, except it's not Manasseh and Ephraim, isn't it? Did you look? Did you see? It's Ephraim and Manasseh. The second one is put First, now for this to work, what I need is, is anyone here an older sibling? Put your hands up. Now I want to keep your hand up if you've only got two people in your family. Oh, wow, we're really limited. <laughs> okay, well, two siblings, yeah. So we're going to go, yeah, two siblings. No, 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 so only two people in the family. Yep. Okay, so Oliver. <laughs> I'm not clear. Oliver, you've got a younger sibling? What's their name? Hannah. Hannah? Anna. Anna. Do they call you Anna and Oliver? Why not? It's weird, isn't it? I'm an older sibling. I've got a younger sibling. If they called us Dinesh and Joash, I'd be livid. <laughs> livid. It's not right. But here we see, of course, that Jacob is doing something that we've seen before. Deja vu. Haven't we seen this before? This exact same scene, yeah, you have. When Isaac went to bless his two sons, Esau and Jacob, he was old and frail, and he blesses Jacob ahead of Esau and says the older will serve the younger. And the author goes to extreme lengths to explain this process. Do we, we'll summarize it for you. His eyes are failing. It's just like last time, except last time whilst Jacob deceived his father to get the blessing here Jacob himself is intentional he does it on purpose his eyesight might be failing but he knows what's going on and so we see imagine the scene the two boys kind of sit on his lap his hands are shaking as he's about to go and bless them um, as a staff team we were chatting about this passage we we were laughing about how much detail they go into saying that he was on their right so he could put his left hand on it like I think we get that but he goes to extreme detail, and of course we know that um, the right hand is better. I'm a right-hander. I'm sorry to the left-handers out there. But the right hand is the one that's going to be giving the superior blessing. And what does Jacob do? Classic switcheroo. Switches his hands, crosses them over, and he blesses Ephraim with his right hand. And Jake, uh, Joseph, Joseph is incensed. He is not happy about this. He says to his father, what are you doing? You've got it wrong. And what's really weird about that fact is that isn't Joseph being a little bit hypocritical here? Isn't it kind of ironic that Joseph, the one who was blessed amongst his brothers, who was shown favoritism, there's no other way to say it, is confused that the oldest is not receiving the best. Well, that's what happened to you, Joseph. And so Joseph is disturbed, but Jacob is adamant. And he says in verse 19, I know my son, he's speaking to Joseph, I know. He too, he's speaking here about Manasseh, the first grandson, will become a people, 
and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will come, become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Now, if you've been reading through Genesis, you may have read it before. Wonderful. You may have noticed, if you've been counting, this is the fifth time the fifth time in 50 chapters that God will choose, bless, show favor to the younger second son over the first. It's repeated again and again and again. It happened with Abel. He was favored over Cain. It happened with um, Isaac over Ishmael. It happened with Jacob over Esau. We saw early in the, in the semester, it happened with Perez over Zerah. And here it's happening again with Ephraim over Manasseh. I think it's screaming at us that this, this thing here is important. It's important. And we've been talking about these Old Testament narrative reading tips. And one of the ones we talked about is repetition shows emphasis. It matters. So the question that I think we need to think about is what do we make of this? What do we make of this pattern of the second son always being favored? I think there's three things that we'll quickly talk about. The first one is, of course, that there's a pattern where the second eclipses the first. Now, notice I'm not saying replace. Not saying replace. Eclipses. Why? Because it's almost like the second gathers, um, imbues, inherits the, the privilege, the blessing, the right that the first either squandered or lost or gave up in some way. The second eclipses and takes it for themselves. Um, there's a pattern where the new replaces the old. And I think there's a parallel here. It's shadowy, it's vague, it's unclear, but a parallel that we see come out in the New Testament where Adam's privilege to rule is given to a second one, Jesus, second kind of son. Um, in Jesus, of course, a second humanity, a newer, better one arises, one that is, we learned this at Summit, didn't we? One that is not perishable, one that will not die, one that lives forever. There's a pattern here that we kind of vaguely seeing of a second eclipsing the first order of things. Uh, the second thing that we can kind of draw, I think, from these five episodes is maybe that in, in God's world, uh, the first will be last and the last will be first. There's this pattern that God demonstrates that he shows uh, favor to the one that's overlooked to the lowly, to the weak, to one who is at the bottom, the one that no one was thought worth, that was worth loving. And thirdly, I think what it screams out at us is that God's favor rests on who he chooses. Like, he, like it's not obvious that the second person, the younger person should get the blessing. In fact, everything else screams the other way. I think what this might show us potentially is it's showing us this pattern that the oldest, which is usually the, the best, the smartest, the bravest, maybe even the funniest, the strongest, does not automatically get reconciled with God, does not automatically get God's favor. And we see this kind of thing happen in John 1. Um, when John is describing Jesus' great ministry, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Um, children not born of natural descent, of order, 
first, second, third, nor of a human decision or a husband wills, but born of God. For those who believe in Jesus, who trust that he is God and Lord over all, they are the ones who become children, not those who just automatically receive it by right of the fact that they are the firstborn. And I th- I'm just going to recap those three. So one, the pattern that the second eclipse is the first, the first will be last, the last will be first, and God's favor rests on who he chooses. And what we see is there's a, a pattern that God shows favor on the, on the one who he wills. And it pleases him here in Genesis five times, and I think generally to show favor on the person who conforms to the image of the second son, the second son-like person. Now, I don't know about you, but where my mind went when I was writing this out was this question, and I wonder if you have it. You may be wondering, do I conform <laughs> to the image of the second son? Am I worth loving? Am I the one that God may show favor on? I think that's a really natural question. It's a very, I, I really empathize with it, but it's, it's quite an unhelpful question for three reasons. The first is that this is not necessarily a pattern of how God's going to act at every single time. There are clearly firstborns here who believe in Jesus. Praise God for that. That includes me. But what it's showing you is a demonstration of God's character. It's showing you what he is like, what he likes, the type of person he is, because God is a person. We can get to know what he is like in the way that he acts. The second reason that that question is unhelpful, that am I a second son? Can God love me? Is it misses the point. The point, the fact is, and it's, it's, it's something you'll have to wrestle with, is that just God chooses to show favor on who he does. And it's, a, it's, it's the fact that you believe in him and that you love him is just a, a, an act of mercy. It's an act of grace. You don't have to become some person. Like God loves you on his accord. There's no way you can kind of meet his standard of contrition, of lowliness enough that you can earn his favor. It's just a gift. The third reason is, of course, we talked about this, it's not about you. This, this kind of image here of a second son is not about you. It's pointing to a future second son. And thank God for that, isn't it? Jesus is the true second son and in him we are blessed. God has favor on him. And by virtue of the fact that God has favor on the true second son, Jesus, for those who are in him, which is us here who've professed faith in Christ, we are blessed too. And so it's helpful when reading the Old Testament to not think too hard about how this points to you, but how, of course, how it points to Jesus. Now, those are some thoughts for us to think through about this pattern of the second son. But let's get back to the story. Um, Ephraim and Manasseh are adopted by Jacob. And what's interesting is that they are adopted not just as half sons or stepsons, but as full sons and let me go further as firstborn sons firstborn sons and you may be going wait a minute joash where is that here in the text and i'll say to you it's not there Ooh, are you allowed to do that yes because it comes later in one chronicles we see um, someone later interpreting what happens here Um, The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's marriage bed, let's just pause for a second there. (laughs) What does that mean? For you, if you've been following the story, super gross, he decides to sleep with his stepmom in his father's tent. Very strange. I don't know why you do that, especially when you have half-brothers that you meet all the time. Very strange. Because of that, 
His rights of the firstborns were given to the sons of Joseph. The rights of the firstborn are given over. In fact, in verse 2, it, it really builds on that. It says, even though Judah was the strongest of his brothers and a ruler came from him, the rights of the firstborn belong to Joseph. And so we see that they are firstborn sons. And what we're doing here is we're letting um, Scripture kind of help us understand Scripture. Some of you are doing the theology course. And we believe, of course, that the Bible is written by human, different authors, but that God has inspired the whole thing. And so something later helps us understand what's happened here. And what's going on is that Joseph's sons, this is amazing. They're not just random peripheral stepsons or half-brothers or whatever. They're brought right into the scent and given preeminence. They are firstborn sons. Both of them, both of them, Ephraim and Manasseh, are firstborns. And this is solidified by jo uh, Jacob's decision to give them land. Read in verse 22 uh, that Jacob says, when you go back to the land, and he's saying this to Joseph, I will give you one more ridge of land than your brothers. So he has two for his two sons. The ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. And that's exactly what happens. Manasseh and Ephraim are given a part of the land. They don't kind of share a little bit. They're given it as if they are full brothers. Of course, Manasseh and Ephraim, as you may know, as you've read through the Bible, are kind of called half-tribes. But in Jacob's eyes, they are reckoned as full sons and they deserve full inheritance. And I think that this is a really beautiful and clear picture of what, well, firstly, it's a picture of what adoption looks like, but what Christian adoption looks like. When you decide to follow Jesus, like we said, become a child of God, you're not a half child or a stepchild. Full status, unquestionable patrilineage, we know who your father is, it's God, and full inheritance. It's not like you get to go and be with God in eternity and then you're going to duck out on Monday and Wednesdays. It's not like you get to enter the gates of heaven, but you're kind of just sitting at the outskirts. You never get to meet the king because you're not good enough. Full status, full inheritance, and unquestionable patrilineage. Your father is God. Just as Jacob is saying to Joseph, these two boys are mine. There is no doubt about it. I've had the final say. That's who they are. That's what your status is like for those of you here today who have trusted in Jesus. Your father is God. It doesn't matter what the world says about you or what your own doubt says about you. Nothing can change that fact or what Satan says when he accuses you. You are God's child by virtue of the fact that you have had, you have trusted in Jesus. And I, I've, I, I was excited to hear that there are some people here who are not Christian today, who haven't yet put their trust in Jesus. Can I encourage you that once you do, once you trust that Jesus is the Lord of the world, that he alone is the one that you should trust and worship, the second you do that, you get full inheritance. You're made a son or a daughter who is given it all because God counts you and reckons you as his own. And I think this is amazing. And I think that all of God's people could say, praise be to God. It's a wonderful, exciting thing. All right, and now we're moving on to chapter 49. Jacob is dying again, <laughs> but for reals this time. Um, 
And what he does is he kind of does like, you know, the hospital scene where like the person's really old and they get their all their family and they're like, I want to bequeath my last will and uh, I want people to come to me one by one. I'm going to tell them what they did, good and bad. It's kind of like that. He says, assemble all my sons to bless them. Now, this is a long part. And to make this fun and engaging, what we're going to do is firstly, you need to have your Bibles for this. We got to listen well. So on your phone or your Bibles. What we're going to do is, um, I don't know if you've ever had the fantasy of being like a Roman emperor. Um, I'm going to read out the, the blessing and you're going to give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. <laughs> do I get put to death <laughs> or do I get to live? So I want to know, and we're all going to do this, was, was I, did I live a good life or a bad life? And I want you all to commit to this. Um, I'm only going to read it out once. And so we're going to go through the, all 12. Let's do this. All right. So listen up. Reuben. You are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters. You will no longer excel for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch and defiled it. All right. What are we giving him? I, I'm, I, I'm hope that no one's giving him a thumbs up. He's not a good guy. Sorry. He gets a bit of a bad blessing. All right. Simeon and Levi, they're they're paired up. That's not a good sign. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen. Why do that? As they pleased. Curse be their anger, so fierce and their fury, so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. What do we say? Yeah, not great. Judah. Your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are lion's cub, Judah. You'll return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations be his. I'll stop there. What do we think? Good. First one. We've got a good one. Yes. What's that? 25%. Um, all right, Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend beyond Sidon. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to give that a sideways thumbs up. That was an option. Didn't mention that. Because, I mean, we don't really know what that means. Um, all right, Issachar is a raw-boned donkey. Um, you might have the translation, a sturdy ass. Um <laughs> lying down among the sheep pens when he sees how good his resting place and how pleasant his land he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor what do we say mm. actually some people are doing this i'm surprising i think it's not good to be a slave it's not fun um all right dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of israel dan will be a snake by the roadside a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so it's tie a rider tumbles backwards yeah, I don't even know what I put down for that one. Mm, okay, I know, halfway. All right, Gad, my favorite guy. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. What do we say? No. Nah. <laughs> All right. Ashes, Ashes' food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he gets to eat well. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Okay, Joseph's one is long, so I'm just going to read the first bit. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fearful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. 
We got some downs. Okay. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to call you out. I just saw it. Um, I think it's pretty good. And lastly, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he devours the prey. In the evening, he divides the plunder. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess he's... Yeah, some people are down. There's a bit of a history to that. Benjamin and his tribe, not the best. Um, all right. Why do we go through all that? Well, firstly, because I think all the scripture is helpful. But secondly, um, you may have noticed in the text that, um, yeah, they're going to getting these blessings. Imagine what it would have been like for Reuben. He comes to Jacob. And then this, this is what Jacob says to him, right? Jacob says, you did really well, excelling in power, but you will no longer because you slept with my wife. <laughs> that, I mean, it's not exactly a blessing, is it? It's kind of, a, is it a curse? I don't know. But what's really awkward about that is that all his brothers were there. <laughs> That's orcs as. They're all doing it at the same time. Imagine hearing that. I wonder if they knew. Yeah. Jokes aside, um, I think it is important that they were all blessed at the same time. It's actually important. Like, it's fun we've gone through it. But it's very important that they were all blessed at the f- same time. Why? Because this is the first time in Genesis that siblings are blessed at the same time. There's no spitting off. Ishmael and Isaac, they go their separate ways and will be enemies forever. Jacob and Esau split off and will be enemies forever. But the sons of Jacob are blessed together and and we know that they will inherit the land, all of them together. And so in some way, it doesn't matter. Like it does, there's a difference and that will play itself out. But more importantly, the brothers together inherit the land. What a wonderful blessing. The animosity and violence that we see in Genesis is being ended as Jacob recognizes he's got to bless them all together. They go as a unit. That being said, all blessings are not made equal. And we're going to focus on one in particular, and that is Judah. Now, you may remember him. In week uh, two, uh, I think I asked you guys to track his redemption arc. And what a change, haven't we seen? He sold off his brother into slavery. He was the ringleader. He um, had a very strange um, set of, how else can we describe it? Sexual encounters with his daughter-in-law. And he was humbled. And since then, he has come back to his family and decided to sacrifice himself for Benjamin. He's had a big change. And what we see in verse 8, especially, is something bizarre. We see this. Judah, this is what's going to happen to Judah. Your brothers will praise you. And I just want to skip to the third line if you've got it in that form. Your son, father's sons will bow down before you. Where have you heard that before? That's Joseph's blessing, isn't it? Isn't that what was supposed to happen to Joseph? His brothers were supposed to bow down to him. And what we see is that Judah is going to be like the new Joseph. No, I've got that wrong. Judah is going to be the new Joseph. He's going to be the king, the royal person. And in verse 8 in the second bit, we see that Judah's hand will be on the neck of his enemies, just like the seed that was promised would crush the snake by its neck. And so we see that Judah's descendant will be the royal snake-crushing seed, and he will look like Joseph. 
He will look like Joseph. He'll follow after his life. And we've been talking about that all series. He'll be a rejected royal ruler. And if we look at Joseph's blessing, what do we see? Well, we see that he was fruitful, but he was put down, but he stayed strong. His pattern of his life was U-shaped. But we see that he's blessed mightily. In fact, it's like he's inheriting all of creation. Blessings of the mighty one. Blessings of the skies above, the deep springs below, the blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of ancient mountains. It's like he's inheriting the earth. That's what the royal snake crushing seed will be like. He will inherit the earth and be blessed richly. However, that's not all. Judah's own blessing is going to develop our understanding and what the people of Israel will understand about the royal snake crushing seed because his blessing adds more. Not only will he be like Joseph and inherit his promise, the one about bowing down, we see that like a lion, he'll be powerful, dominant. He'll procure the obedience of the nations and the ruler's staff will never depart from Judah's house. And so he will be like Joseph, but he will be a king, a king. And so what we see here, I think, between these two blessings is an example of what we've been talking about, typology, images of Jesus smashing together again. And when the people of God wanted to see what should Judah's descendant look like, what should that seed look like? I think what they would have looked to is the life of Joseph. They would think that Judah's kingly son would look a lot like Joseph. And I think we've been doing that this semester and we should do the same. We should do the same. So let's summarize what we've been learning today. What will the royal snake crushing seed be like? One who will be a second son, one who will be a powerful descendant of Judah, and one who will be a rejected royal ruler like Joseph. So that's what we've been learning. That's kind of like the middle layer. I think along the way, we've been learning something really exciting about what it might be like for us as Christians to in inherit these promises that will be counted as sons, just like Manasseh and Ephraim, sons and daughters fully incorporated into God's family, one family together, not split off, no more sibling rivalry. And I think what, I, I don't know about you, but when you read these two chapters, you might be going, what is it? What is going on? Like truly, honestly, what is happening in these chapters? If we didn't know the end of the story, right, you would, would you have picked that Judah was the one who was going to inherit the, the, the best promise? Like out of all the brothers, Judah, that guy, the one who sold off Joseph? And I think what we learn about God is that he's kind of predictably unpredictable. We see that in the, like, the line of succession of second sons that's chosen. It's not normal. And I think what the whole Joseph story shows you is that the plan of salvation is full of surprises. It's not a surprise to God. It was his plan all along. But as humans, as we try to comprehend it, it's, it's hard. And I would be the first to say, I, Joash, do not understand what's going on here sometimes. In fact, I'm trying to tell you what I think it might say, but I just want to emphasize that when I read these chapters, it confuses me. And I think that's kind of right. And how I feel about that, I wonder if you feel the same way, is I feel small. I feel really, really small, but not in a bad way, in a good way. I feel really small because when I see the God that makes these promises about doing things that I don't get, I think his plan of salvation is so enormous it's hard for me to grasp. Like I could get what he's telling me, but there are times that it's just beyond me. 
and it makes me feel a sense of smallness and it makes me wonder and think he's kind of amazing and I I wonder what the the magnitude of his mind and his plan and we've been seeing in this story that people have been trying to subvert God's plan of salvation there was a plan that the seed would come through they thought it was Joseph it wasn't going to be but they thought it was and they decided to try kill him off but along the way God has subverted that hasn't he he's taken their evil and made it work out for his plan of good and I, I just want you to leave that with you um, how do you feel about God having read these chapters do you feel kind of swept up in this grand scheme this grand plan that it feels like a bit of a tornado but in the center of it you just trust that God's gonna make it work out I, I hope you do because I think that's how the people of Israel would have felt after receiving these blessings God's got a plan we can't really see it but it's because his plan of salvation is unclear to us at times but we can trust him because he'll make it work out and that's why we've been calling this series according to plan because it is God's plan and he will see it come to pass and so we may say again praise be to God thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible talk we long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.